You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If it's Mitzvah Shabbos, this must be Rizcho Daraisa. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Harav Agoin, Saratir Biatzmoy Bechleidoy, Kvayid Kedushas Marenu Verabenu, Rabbi Yosef Gavriel Bechofer. And, yeah, Shlita. Agoin Hagodol. Agoin Hagodol, yes. Not Agoin, yeah, not Agoin Tzadik. He is much, much greater than a tzaddik. Yeah, in the Shi world, Hagon Tzaddik is like a, 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 a diminution. Yes, I know. You've mentioned that before. Okay. Manit Tzaddik. What do we say? Tzaddik, Tohor, right? Kodosh, right? That's the Roshay Tevis. Rabbi Yosef, um, oh, you know, we have 100,000 listeners. Not you, but our... <laughs> not you, specifically. <laughs> But our platform has a, we've reaching the, the our, our plateau. We have 100,000 listenings, not listeners. 100,000 people who have listened. 100,000 different listenings, yes. And maybe just downloads, who knows? But anyway, it's a great number, which just means, and the number one of all those is, is consistently risk of the rise. And we, I, I've shown you that in our analytics. So we have a lot of people out there and most people are just happy or mad. Some people decide they're going to write in and they discover where they can write me or write you. And they have ideas of what we should talk about. Sometimes we listen, sometimes we don't. I figured a little lightning round tonight where we'll just deal with, I've collected uh, seven, I think six or seven points from some of our listeners. I'm going to keep them anonymous because I know they probably don't want uh, their names being mentioned. And we'll just go quickly through it. And without us getting into this big droshes, and we'll try to, you know, if, if I could set a little timer, I would do that. But we'll spend a couple of minutes on each one, and hopefully it'll satisfy all our the yearnings of all the people out there to try to deal with the topics, and then we'll see how things go. Okay. Here's something that came up a couple of weeks ago. Someone wants us to talk about the significance of the Hebraism of the founding fathers, how significant that is that we live in a country that so many of the founding fathers uh, were not just deists, but also had feelings towards a biblical Judaism and how important that should be. And I guess that we should talk about uh, that this is a crucial part of American culture that perhaps the from world doesn't know more so much about. I'll throw that to you. What do you want to say about that? I think the fact that we had Hebrew was a very positive um, uh, area of study of the early uh, founding founding fathers of America, and that we have one university which has one of the two on its seal, and another which has the shame of I on its seal, and indicates that there was a affinity between the founders and Amisrael to the extent that they perceived themselves as a new Israel. I think that the Puritans also, in general, have that perception, as do the Mormons and some other Christian groups. Um, and um, I'm not sure it makes them nicer to us, um, because if you think you are the new Israel, then you might have some resentment towards the old Israel. But it certainly um, does not make them dislike us more. And probably has that gives them more respect for what, Judaism uh, means and allows them to view the world in the sense of a Judeo-Christian perspective as opposed to this Christian perspective, which is probably the more Roman Catholic and early Protestant view. 
So I think that uh, to that extent, uh, it allowed, and not necessarily Jews, at least Judaism, to find a warm place in the hearts of people like George Washington and others who have obviously had favorable things to say about uh, John Adams, I think as well, about uh, the role of Jews in America. I think the, the, the person said that he thought that John Adams might even be a chassid um, even according to the Shittas Arambam, that it has to be because of the tzivuim of Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, not just the chacham. Here's what I would say about that. Uh, it's probably not going to make much of a difference uh, in terms of how they view us, but it's, I think this is an important part of history that should be taught to Orthodox kids and Jewish kids should know this. And they should realize this, especially as we've talked many times in this program about good citizenship, whether it's really reflected in what's going on in Washington right now. But I think it's a way uh, to create better citizens when they realize so many of the shared values and how much connections there were between what was going on at the beginning of this country. I think we'd have less scoff laws, and I think we'd probably have more adherence and respect for what the country was meant to be. So I think that's what we've taken about that. Okay, here's another question. Um, talk about environmental issues, more than just Tzar Balichayim and Baltashchis. Uh, I guess this has to do with ideas like saving the planet and um, global warming. Uh, why aren't we out there in the forefront as far as that goes, and they wanted to have us to have a little discussion about that. Quickly, what do you want to say about that? This week's uh, Community Connections, the Monty uh, uh, um, you know, ad paper, so they always have each week a Yiddish and English feature on something, an animal or uh, nature in general. This is about pilot whales, and pilot whales, evidently, they beach themselves en masse, even though they're very healthy. Nobody knows exactly why. So in the English, it said that um, you know, kind people go and uh, try and save them. And he would say, uh, in quotations, Rachmanistik Goyim, go and try and save them. So uh, at least there's a mile, they knew not to write it in English, but uh, which in the past they have, um, they have uh, unfortunately done. So I think that there's this notion that whatever the Goyim have Rachmanistan is false. And whatever the Goyim think is, is Tikkun Olam is Heres Olam. And that they can't have it right, and therefore we have to reject the things which they find to be significant. What paper is that? The Muncie uh, Coupon Shopper? What is it called? Community Connections. Community Online. Connections. Yes. I see. Uh, maybe they have 100,000 downloads. I don't know. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if they're making such big headway. But I guess you, I guess what Rabbi Bechalfer is saying is that we should adopt this as a positive thing. It might not necessarily stem directly from Baltashchis and Tsar Balichayim. Uh, it's definitely connected to it. But we should also uh, we should be involved. But what about the ideas about global warming, about saving the planet for the generations to come? Um, is the Shamra means to work the world and preserve the world. It's right. In, it's in the original, probably the original charge of Adam Arisham. Right. And as we know from the Ramban, uh, the famous Ramban by Shul HaKain, that one of the reasons behind the Isra of Isav Espanoi is because it sort of indicates, as Shul HaKain does as well, that you can't destroy the species, that that type of uh, feeling and activity gives you the sense that man can destroy the species. Man cannot. Man should not. Um, 
I guess the question really is, though, should there be a more, I guess our letter writer was wondering, should there be a greater uh, push by... Yeah, listen, we all know, you know, and there's so many connections there, pictures of all the Hanukkah, Masibas, of all the Hasidish uh, rabbis and their hosts, and they have invitations this week, there a gazillion Malava Malkus in in Muncie for different moistness. Nobody's keeping with distance because of COVID. No hachakis. It's Goyish. Okay. I thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to keep on topic. I thought you were going to say maybe nobody was uh, recycling that at their mesibus they didn't necessarily pick up the garbage and put it in the recycling bin. No, actually, and they so I, I don't know. My neighbor people do recycle. I that's very good. Recycle. So, and then, but I think that this is, an, I, I, in other words, if there's something good, Chazal say, I don't think that that's, people have that attitude nowadays. I think that's a big problem. Yeah, well, we've talked about the non-maskers and stuff like that, but uh, I'm going to... I only took the masks as an example of where the, the going, but what the going do and what they say, we don't accept. Yeah, I, I think, again, you know, this is definitely something that there probably should be more involvement in. Uh, I think we both agree that there should be more involvement in where exactly you run the balance between the Sakana to this generation to the Sakana future generations. Uh, obviously, you know, we believe somehow maybe the Elioanovi and the Mashiach will somehow bring some renewable energy source that will obviously, uh, there'll be a, <laughs> the ultimate solar power. Let's go on to the next topic. Uh, ding, 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 next topic. I'd like to know why even Choshev people in Rabbonim blatantly ignore Chazal's prescriptions against Hespedim on Rosh Chodesh Hanukkah and other days. Uh, they begin with, no, Hespedim aren't allowed, but we're going to keep you here for over an hour so that every child, grandchild, cousin can say the exact same thing. Um, and uh, that's what someone is bothered by, the fact that at Hespedim that are done, let's say, recently on Hanukkah Nebuch and Rosh Chodesh other times, people don't seem to care uh, about the halacha. Anything you want to talk, anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I think this goes back to Rabbi Rabbi Dr. Chaim Salvech's seminal piece 25 years ago, Rupture and Reconstruction. Because we've lost the depth of true emotion, so therefore we substitute, and of course uh, you're, you know that I'm as guilty about this as anybody else, because we've lost the depth of true emotion which once existed, we, we are superficial people, therefore all we can do is uh, measure our spading by the length and extent of them, not by the true sorrow that we feel. Uh-huh. So... But do you feel that uh, the fact that people are masped when they be, when they shouldn't, it's because of they're trying to overcompensate? I don't get it exactly what your answer yes. is. Yeah, they want to show the chashivas to somebody. They have to have a lot of speeches. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay, I'm not sure if I agree with you because uh, you know I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with Chaim Salvechik, but I don't think he was talking. He speak about his That's he wants to speak about his him. But I happen to be a little bit of a a, a maven in uh, drush literature. And if you look at the Hespedim uh, of that Mimetic tradition, I don't know if it's Mimetic or not, but if you look in the Hespedim tradition, uh, if you look in the Aris Dvash and some Sefer, and in the, um, the Hafla's son, his Sefer also, um, you see pretty long Hespedim. People actually went to town on Hespedim. Now, again, those were the Rabbonim. And the Rabbonim, yeah, of course. They knew they, you know, they had the sink, they had the chant, they had Nusach, they, yeah, it was a different world. Yeah, here's what I would say. I think that maybe, and this is what I, I think I wrote the fellow. Yeah, I'll tell you what I wrote back to the fellow. Um, I, I thought the phenomenon could use some addressing. I think the status of Hespit can be reconsidered. 
uh, Bizman, you know, when the Megillus Tainus, of course, was authored, and we have throughout Chazal, the day you can't have a spadim, uh, the whole community attended. A eulogy was preceded by crying, wailing, morose music. Uh, it stamped the whole day in a way you can't shake off. And if, if it was a day of Hespid, everybody would feel the icy hand of death and sadness, which I don't believe is true today. And therefore, um, I don't think Hespid does like it's also my Hespid today. Well, Hespid doesn't do the same thing that it used to. Uh, also, and this I think needs to be in terms of Kovet Abrios, there's an expectancy for the family, uh, for their grief to be validated. Um, and I think that that is Kovet Abrios. Um, and it would be hard to tell them, no, everybody else could, could say goodbye to, to dad, to Zeta, uh, to, to cry, and you can't. Um, People need to have the public apology. Uh, they need to go through the catharsis. And therefore, I think that's the reason why we've uh, been makel in allowing this to happen. Um, the, the letter writer was very concerned about Zoom. I hold by Zoom, it's Machal, not Aspid, because you're just sitting in your, even though you're watching it, uh, I, it's more like watching a soap opera, a weepy film on TV. You know, um, that's not what Chazal are talking about. Ding, ding, ding. Next topic. Oh. Okay, just because I'm getting going with the good stuff. No. <laughs> You're the one who decides lightning round. Yes, okay, you, but you got to admit it was good. All right, here's the next topic. Um, hearing more about Rav Nata Shlita. I guess I should go on uh, first on that. Yeah, I know. Um, that's a topic for all program. I don't think you should. Uh, yeah, but okay, no, oh, but I'm going to just answer. Look, Rav Nata, especially with the Ptira of Rav Gadali Schwartz, the two weeks ago, um, Rav Nota is really, in a sense, one of the last of that door of Rabbonim uh, who lived outside of the metropolitan area, but everybody somehow knew were, was, was, was blessed and was something of a great uh, larger-than-life persona. Like Rav Schwartz, as I mentioned to Michael Broyd uh, this past week on the, on the podcast, uh, they both sort of came into their own in their 70s and 80s, right? Basically, they were sort of unknown in some ways, and then people started realizing uh, what their authenticity was. I think Rav Nota, I just want to just tell people that Rav Nota, the last, one of the last times I was at his house, wasn't the last time, but it was one of the uh, times a couple of years ago, I noticed on his writing desk that there was he, was, he had a number of papers, a number of things that were there, including a chuva about my father, uh, that he had written about my reparations and other things about uh, and those that material I believe is being worked on and I think that there will be uh, sooner rather than later uh, a collection of what Rav Nota is really about not just Kareya Hasoda and people will see uh, what he's about if or just one last other thing if his uh, children allow. I think there's also a tremendous amount of Teresh Abalpeh and videos and other things that exist about Rav Nota that really make him one of the most indelible uh, people, really, on, on any side of the Atlantic. So I hope that, uh, yes, w- if that material is around, we will, I'll try to give you some more about I, I want to add to that because it's going to come up again in one of the later rounds of this Lightning Round program. Is that the fa- the 70s and 80s issue is a big issue, which we talked about in the past, and it answers a different question, which we're going to ask later on. 
Okay. In other words, why Rav Nota was sort of in the background all those years when he should not have been. Okay. I, I mentioned, just want to say one other thing. If Rav Moshe would have had his way, <laughs> things would have been different. Had Cupid shot the arrow a little bit differently, uh, there would have been a different son-in-law, possibly for Rav Moshe Feinstein. Just want to throw that out there as well. Okay. Although Rav Nota says he had no interest in Feya. But who knows? I think Rav Moshe himself it's wanted Rav Nota as his Edom. And I think that that would have changed. Boy, America would have been very, very different had that occurred. Okay. Um, really, it would, it's almost like an alternate universe. I, we, could, we could write a miniseries about how the world would have been different, sort of like like the man in the high tower. Like had, had Rav Nota been Rav Moshe's Edom, how the world would have been different. Okay. Next topic. Um, you remember, you put me, I don't know, it was a weird uh, program that we did when you asked me to talk about Rav Hirsch Eisenberg. And I, of course, mentioned in that program, I mentioned Shadal and sort of uh, extolled his incredible uh, power of, of Diktuk and, and, and Per Shamilim and Seamus Nerdofim and things of the following. Someone says, I'm surprised you mentioned Shadal, but you skipped over the controversial history. His parish in the Torah was recently reprinted and translated by Leo Monk. I didn't know that. He translates everything. Who's Elio uh, Monk? He translated Rabbeinu Bach. He trans. He's uh, one of these. He translated the everybody. Of the, the, the monk from Paris. The, uh... Okay, look, you'll look him up later. Anyway, but the point is, is that he does do a lot of translation, and uh, again, I'm sure he has a good quality as well. I don't think you'd find it too many from Shuls because no one has heard of him. And if you're waiting to these waters, I'd like to hear your opinion on his vikuach against Kabul and the Zohar's authorship and whether that's considered a legitimate Torah position. Okay, so I'm going to start on this because it's my baby. Um, and then I'll let you talk about it. Uh, well, look, nice of you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Okay, look, I could just not call you, and then you wouldn't, you wouldn't, all you would have is your, you'd have your Facebook page, yeah, but nobody is downloading. Yeah, no, no fame and glory. <laughs> okay, that's right. It's only because of me. So, look. All right, you want to talk about Shadal? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, look. We talked about who Shadal was. We talked about uh, you know, the small little um, yeshiva, quote-unquote, that he had in Padua. We talked about his work. Okay, he didn't believe in Kabbalah. There's an incredible story that happened when, when Shadal, again, according to his biography that he wrote, his autobiography, he talked about the fact that when he was a little boy, his mother was dying, and uh, his father came to him, and his father wanted him when he was a little boy to read these statements, these mantras uh, that these st- that would somehow fend off the Malach HaMovis, and it was based on some safer Rizil HaMalach or something like that. Shadal said he couldn't do it. He wasn't able. Now, I don't know how old he was. He might have been eight, nine. He already was, he could not believe in these powers. And he was already such an Eloy that he already knew all about this type of literature, and he realized this mystical literature was not for him. He was not a cold unfeeling rationalist. He was actually a very compassionate person, but he did not believe in Chochmas Anister, and he did write a whole sefer uh, to basically, it was a, it's in the form of a dialogue between a, 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 a Tumim and a, and, a, and, a, and a real Moscow, who basically deflowers the Tumim and shows him that Kabbalah is really all Narishkeit, and it's all based on, and like, like Gratz and others of his time who said that. Do I believe that someone who holds such an opinion um, can't even be quoted or be part of a conversation if you don't believe in, in Kabbalah the way we have it in the Zoyer. Okay, so what I would say is the following. Uh, look, the Bach already says if someone is machish in Kabbalah, he has a din of an apikiris. 
Um, and there are many, many uh, sources who align with the Bach as far as that goes. Um, and therefore, someone who doesn't believe in Chokmas Anister and believes that basically all we have is Teresh the way we have in a beautiful Midrashim, but doesn't believe in the Saitis HaTayra, is clearly veering off from what's considered uh, normative Messiah. I would say that for sure. Um, on the other hand, uh, does that mean we cannot look at their svarim? Does that mean, especially what they do in terms of uh, in terms of work on mikra, in terms of their ideas? I think that, like any sort of wisdom, um, you need to. It, it has to be in the hands of someone who's cautious and careful, someone who realizes and understands what that person's prejudices are. But I would say, yeah, look, obviously the Rambam and Marinavuchim. Uh, based uh, I, I, all covet to Rabbi Leiner and Avram Abelafia before him who thought that the Marnavuchim is based on Kabbalistic principles. It is possible to approach the world without uh, Yetias and Kabbalah. The Dardayim, as you know, in, um, by, in Yemen, they also fought against uh, the, what they thought was the, 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 the alien root of Kabbalah in their midst. Obviously, we, me and you, Bichsidi Shechevra, who who are medactic on all these zachen, love Sifrechsidis and Kabbalah. Of course, we reject that, but I understand that that is a strand that is that is a, that of Judaism that has contributed mightily and importantly. And I don't think the fact that he's uh, an apikiris, as far as that goes. He's not an apikiris. He does believe in Teresh Shabalpeh. He does believe in Terumi Sinai. And he actually was a tremendous fighter against those other, even much further left-wing masculine like Yeshua Heschel Shore and Geiger. So I would actually, I think Shadal was a hero. Go ahead. What do you have to say? I, I, I without addressing Shadal specifically, because I have not used his page enough to feel competent to, to comment on it. A copy of Shadal uh, came into marriage from my wife. It was not purchased by me. So uh, you can see that. Uh, okay, so we said, that's another positive thing that uh, the, the Rebbitson gives to you. But go ahead. So, uh, but I would like to say that I'm frequently asked this question about the Zohar, and uh, specifically, not about Kabbalah in general, but Zohar specifically, but my answer is similar to yours. Uh, I say that I find it hard to believe that any modern scholar is, is more uh, with the Zohar than the Groh, and then with Sadiq. And then uh, many, many uh, thousands and thousands of great Hamidichachamim, but no vested interest in accepting the Zohar. And uh, I, generally speaking, the academic Orthodox who take the position that the Zohar is not uh, is not um, authentic, though much, very, very little compared to the great Gedolim who accepted it. Their kindness is usually niggling and uh, not not uh, not uh, comprehensive and not uh, significant and therefore um, I feel on those accounts that that to not not accept the Torah Zohar at this point is not an authentic Torah perspective it doesn't make a person happy curious I can believe for whatever reason primarily perhaps for this reason um, have, uh, made sure the Rambam did not have access to the Zohar so that one could always say, well, I don't have access to, I don't believe in the Zohar, and I'm no worse than the Rambam. So therefore, we don't have to put such a person in Chutzlamachna, we can drink his wine, we can eat him shita, but it's not a valid, authentic Torah perspective. Um, that's a nice Chiddush, that the, in other words, the Rambam was the carbon to allow Slifkin and others uh, to basically be in the camp. Okay. I, that's not a bad, that's not a bad Hesber. I just add, uh, just on, on that note, uh, when we talk about 
um, you know, the, 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 the research, I actually would say there's another thing. All the, um, the, you know, the little notes from Rabbi Yitzchak and all the strangeness of the Zohar in terms of the names that are mentioned there, all the illusions that seem to be not of its time and the language being different, all the tainas that you hear that Shadal and others recounted, I think is part of our Nesoyon. In other words, when you have something that's so great, so immense, so tremendous, so enriching, there's Akadosh Baruch Hu puts those mechshoilim there in order to make it tougher for us, in order to make it worthwhile. There are sfeikas, yeah. And the truth is, is that those sfeikas, you have to, you have to work on yourself to be misgaber over them. And, you have to, and that actually allows you ultimately to see it in, in, in its great beauty. So I think that there are, you know, it's, I think it's all part of the way this, 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 this Zoyer uh, has come down to us. It's come down to us with those problems to make us really work harder to earn the right uh, to be Zoha, to be part of the Zoharistic tradition, to really understand what it's about. Okay, next. Um, why the Aguda always seems to, okay, we've talked about this a lot. Why the Aguda always seems to be in a battle with other Orthodox groups and why you? Uh, especially since many of our listeners are close to those musmochim. Okay, go ahead. Why is the Aguda always in battle? This was a, this was a, this was in response to our discussion that when we talked about Rechaim Dave Keller's Atzal and how he was the fighter for the Aguda. So, uh, among other things. So, well, why do we always find the Aguda? I, I think. Like, yeah, we're not going to fight the battle. I don't think it's the reason, but eventually they won. Uh, once upon a time, why you was seen as the sole, if not uh, the sole, or uh, should say the foremost, if not the sole representative of Orthodox Judaism by the world in general. And in any compendium about the streams of Judaism, there were three great movements, and one also ran, and each movement was represented by its leading seminary, and the leading seminary of the Orthodox movement was Yeshiva University, and of the Conservative JTS, and as you see of the reform, and you also ran was Reconstructionism. Um, and uh, you know, the Aguda uh, obviously saw red at this. Uh, interestingly enough, you know, the Ayakas who were across, uh, the, across the Broadway from, uh, from uh, YU, and they were very similar in Ashkafa, as we know, similar, not the same. Ashkafa to YU, they were perhaps the most rabid opponents of YU. But I think the only uh, interaction between the two sides of the heights for many years was that uh, the people and uh, on the I would go on the Broadway side would go eat in Wayu cafeteria and the restaurants there, which is so saying that they trusted the kashrus. Uh-huh. But uh, at the um, in fact uh, they uh, and, and including all your cousins, right? I mean, you yes. had your cousins and your yes. family, very very much part of that yeki chaver uh, there. So I think that the um, in the final analysis. That good have wanted its brand of orthodoxy to be seen as the flagship brand of orthodoxy. I think that good has seen beyond its wildest dreams and that uh, good itself became a sacrificial lamb to that process of the, the definition of orthodoxy being pushed further and further right. Uh, but uh, yes, you all they didn't want to see orthodoxy defined at normative. So, you, so you're saying that basically the Aguda put on their boxing gloves because they wanted to knock the competition out. That's the reason why they're so confrontational. Yeah. It's not because it was necessarily based on real, authentic 
uh, ideological. Of course, there are real ideological differences, but the uh, I, the authentic ideological differences were such that they may bother them that why you was seen as the flagship and not eventually as it probably is today Lakewood. So, so to answer this question, the reason Aguda seems to be at battle is because they saw themselves as the weaker uh, representative who should really be out there as number one. And that's the reason. And that's why they were so combative. I, I, look, I would say a lot of it is that, you know, nothing makes a great speech than, you know, as Trump and others have done, and even uh, Biden. You always want to fight the big guy. You want to fight the man. You want to, it's always great to have uh, someone to punch at. And, um, you know, I think that that's what stirs people. And part of, obviously, you, you, emotion is a very crucial thing. And I think part of it is a very strident tone. Uh, you don't expect their, them to be, uh, and again, uh, I, I have not heard so many of their drushes, but a person who I was mospit on one of our, uh, it's on our uh, platform, the Novominsker, who was a very, this was sweetheart and a real intellectual and a tremendous Talmud Chochem, um, he did get very uh, strident and forceful when he wanted to, um, and I think he believed it was Shmo, but I think part of these conventions and things was to bring out the firebrand. You know, if it's just going to be a uh, TED Talk, that ain't going to work. Okay, next. Well, uh, it should be said that the, uh, they also fought uh, much more against the conservative. Uh, they oh, yeah, like, okay. They probably right. fought by the conservative when the conservative no longer were an issue. <laughs> they had to find someone to fight. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to get a lot of our good uh, listeners uh, and people to come on the show. Maybe we'll get Zweibel, Rabbi Zweibel. That's many poorly good. Uh, Dr. Zweibel. Yeah, I, I know. Rabbi Yitzhak Breuer. Yes, I know. You have to throw in your, your favorite. Okay. Another unrelated topic. Okay, someone wrote in. Who chooses who are the G'daylim? I mean, no one's giving fair hairs to see which Rosh I'm quoting this person. To see which Rosh Hashiva are the biggest Tamil Chachamim. It seems there are people, for some reason, not considered for the Moetzes. I know of two Talmud Chachamim that seem to know everything. And he mentions Ramesha Brown, who you, of course, had a connection to when you were in his kailo. I, of course, knew Ramesha Brown uh, when he was the one of the best guys, or the best guy, in Nair Yisrael. Uh, and then I've met him many times subsequently, but that's where I really know him from, from Yeshiva. And Rabbi Yochanan Zweig, who, of course, was my Rebbe, that no one really talks about as Gedolim for some reason. Okay. You, uh, we could maybe put a whole show on this. What do you want to yeah, say quickly about this? Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the Beckhoff definition of who is a real, real Gadol is who, somebody who's, uh, being, who is uh, uh, in the league of uh, being Matir Agudos. Um, I'm not sure how many Gadolim we have of that sort today. Uh, very few. Uh, so, uh, Matir Agunas, like you're talking about the Agunas whose husbands won't give them divorces. No. No. Oh, you're talking about real agunos in the yeah, case. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so that's that's a very high level scholarship. I think especially we had the loss of uh, of Schwartz, of course, who was Mata the Agunas after the 9-11. And that article is available in English and in Hebrew. But you're right. The people of that stature are hard to find. And therefore. Yeah, but uh, that's just an aside. Uh, the point is that the, the places on the Moetzis are... Uh, are now determined by the uh, inherit not inheritance that not perhaps that's the right not the right term, but they certainly are passed down. There's a slot for Lakewood Rosh Hashiva, a slot for Tervadas Rosh Hashiva, a slot for Chaim Berlin Rosh Hashiva, and so on and so forth. As a slot, a slot probably for a member of the Feinstein family. Um, you know, there a, a slot for a total chassid, 
usually chassid who sit on the mat. So, so in other words, that because on our our show notes, I sometimes hyperlink. Uh, things and on one of the shows we hyperlinked Moetzes, I think, from the last or two shows. And if you click on that, you'll see a picture of them all sitting at a table. So you're saying many of those people at that table are only there because they yarshened it from their fathers, or, or the previous representative of that institution. Mm, I see. Yeah. So you're talking about Reveli Brudny, for example. Is he on the Moetzes now? I don't think so. Uh huh. I'm not sure. Yeah, uh, uh, I don't think Shmuel Bruni. I don't think Shmuel Bruni was, but yeah. he's definitely so. But so, Malkiel Cutler is on the Moetzes. Yeah, Rav Malkiel. Yes, Rav Malkiel Cutler is on the Moetzes Gedolei Yeah, I see. And uh, Rav Ocean is also there. No, one lake of Rosh Hashiva. That's it. I see. Interesting, yeah. interesting. You know, I mean, they're both very fine men. Shmuel was not on the Moetzes as long as Ravili was on the Moetzes. Uh-huh. I see. So basically what you're saying is you agree with our listener that this doesn't make sense. Right. It's not meant to be represented by the Bogodoli Torah. The also rands who are not necessarily as Choshev are on the Messias. Um, and of course, this all represents specifically people who are Buddhist people. People who are not a Buddhist people are not going to be on this. And therefore you won't find Chassidim, except though somebody once pointed out to me, the Chassidim make them less so the ones who have no Chassidim. That's that's that is a cruel uh, dig to the Novamins. That's a cruel a cruel dig Novaminsker who you just take a look at Adas Yaakov, it's available on Oitzra Hoffman. He was a litmark in clothing, what give me a break. Yeah, right, but he was he had tremendous teichen and a big, very big, very big. Why that? I'm not even just Okay, about. so basically, what you're saying is that Rav Moshe Brown, you believe, go ahead, should be, would be someone. Would, yeah, he doesn't represent, uh, an, uh, you know, Yishev for Akway does not have a slot on the Moetzes, um, and therefore Rabbi Brown is never going to make it. They don't give it to Agudah Rabbanim. Agudah Rabbanim is a separate organization. You don't, there's no no jump from the Agudah Rabbanim organization to the Moetzes. Has to be association with the yeshiva. I think Rabbi David is the exception. Ah, uh, I see. Well, I can tell you about Rabbi Yochanan's wife, of course, out in Miami. It's very hard to uh, get the pub, although he is known as one of the great Balmachbali Machshava of today. Um, and Listen, many... both of these guys, let's, let's call guys, them, let's not call them guys. Both of these great Talmud Chachamim. Yes, they're near Israel guys. So near Israel is not considered to be. A fertile field for Moetzis members. Although Rav Ruderman definitely was on the Moetzis. Yeah, Rav Ruderman was didn't learn in any throw. Yes, okay. You know, so, for many years, Rabbi Weinberg, Weinberg was never allowed to be the Moetzis, as far as I know. Uh, he was deliberately left off. And, you know, it's the Lakewood system which controls the Moetzis. It's uh-huh. the reality. I see. So you agree that there is it, very difficult to discover who the Gedolim who should speak for Klal Yisrael really are then in that way, because yes. it seems like the system is 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 stacked against uh, or at least stacked in favor of a certain approach that it's self perpetuating. Although I would say, look, um, probably there are forces within the Moetzes that are stronger than others. Obviously, people who sit at that table who don't have the uh, intellectual power of others are going to be quiet, where the leader is going to get up there. And speak, and I think that, uh, as I wrote to that person, I think the cream does rise to the top. I do think that Klal Yisrael understood Rav Moshe and Eretz Yisrael, especially they understood Rav Hamazalman, Rav Yoshev, 
there is a sense of who should be. There's obviously people who we talk about, like Zalman and others that we talked about before, that somehow, uh, because of their personality and others, didn't necessarily um, become the Dastair of Klal Yisrael, and we, we have bemoaned that. Okay, so that we've gone gated away. Yes, I have no problem with it. Okay, that's it. I think we've gone through all the topics here. You've made your case. And, boy, I'm exhausted by that lightning round. And we'll see you, I guess, next time with a episode sort of devoted to one subject. And as um, Dean Martin... As much as any other episode. As Dean Martin used to say, keep those cards and letters coming in, everybody. And meanwhile we'll be able to try to deal with them with as much resichus as we can muster up. Take care, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 